Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith on today's Unlocking the Cage podcast. Brandon Moreno and I sit down to talk about his future at 125 pounds and how the pain he has gone through in the past has made him a better fighter. I also answer your questions from the midweek mailbag. Get them into utcmailbag at gmail.com. And we recap Dana White's contender series with the one and only Laura Sanko. I am now joined by current uh, flyweight interim champion Brandon Moreno, of course, the former lineal champion. Big win over Kai Car France the last time out. Brandon, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us, man. Oh, man, thank you so much for, for the time, for the space. And, I mean, you can say the real champ. I mean, no problem with that. <laughs> the real champ, Brandon Moreno. I want to take a little <laughs> trip back, though, to your first fight with Kai Car France. When, I, when um, you know, the rematch was coming up, I went back and looked at that fight, and it was close. It was a battle, man. You both really gave it all you had. That first fight with Kai Car France, what did you learn, if anything, from that fight, man? Very tough one. Yeah, I mean, obviously... Uh, every single uh, like extra help with the game plan like is 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 is, you know, is an advantage, right? Obviously, it's the same yeah. for him for his uh, game plan. But at least for me, I, I knew the guy uh, like punch hard with the with the right hand, and the guy has uh, really good uh, head movement sometimes. But obviously, the last fight was in two thousand nineteen. He changed yeah. a little bit. I changed a little bit. Definitely, we ha- we had more experience and and more new skills. So yeah, this fight was was different. I tried to use a little bit more my distance. I tried to put. I mean, it's, it's pressure with distance. Uh, it's, it's hard to to explain, but it's like you you want to put pressure on him, but you you don't want to put your body first. So you you want to put your hands. So it's pressure with distance. Uh, first and second round, I I I I thought I was winning. It's it's hard with the judges because one one judge g- g- gave me all the rounds to me, other judge gave all the rounds to Kai, and other other judge. It gave one on one, so it's, it's it's crazy how the guys are in the same place, but they're watching a, a whole different history. But I don't know, it is what it is. So I, I was like very focused to get the, the the victory and the most important try to get the finish, and I did. So approaching the rematch with Kai Car France, how much confidence? And, and remember, you know, of course, we we all know about the the trilogy you've had so far with Davidson Figueredo. Uh, facing somebody a second time, are you more confident? Are you less confident? Do you focus on the changes you guys have both have both have made? How do you approach a rematch tactically, man, and in your head? <laughs> man, first first of all, talking about the, the trilogy with with Figueredo, I mean, it was yeah. very refreshing to fight with another guy, man. It was very very refreshing, <laughs> like make another another game plan, another strategy against uh, uh, a new face was very good for me i think for my mental health right like i, I was very tired to fight with the same guy i try i i was like trying to get the four one against figueredo because i mean i want to be the, the you know the the real champion of the world right um i hate the fucking like entering a world but it's fine i i understand i understand so for nothing man um uh i i, I knew the the guy uh, will have an, an, an a whole different uh, um a game plan uh, he did it you know to me was a little bit uh 
uncomfortable because he don't wanted to put a lot of pressure. Actually, he started to go back trying to use the angles, and I was just trying to to cut those angles and trying to put uh, uh, Kai against against the cage. And in some points, I, I did it. Um, the third round was so different, right? The third round, uh, he connect uh, the elbow on the ground, and that uh, put my mind in another place. I, I start to lose my my focus on the fight because. I don't know. I, I, the, the training camp was a little bit hard. I had a, an, a, a little cut in the same spot. Uh, Kai threw the, the elbow. So I don't know. That started to put uh, some bad uh, moments in my mind than uh, right now, right in, in the fight. But uh, I was trying to, to be back in the fight and I did it at the end. And thanks God I connect the kick and the liver. So, of course, I'm speaking to Brandon Moreno. We call him the real champion at 125 pounds, currently the interim champion, hopefully getting <laughs> his, his chance to settle things soon. So talk a little bit about the end of the fight. Davison Figueredo comes in the ring. Dana White said it was disrespectful. It should have been handled a little bit differently. I remember when this happened all the time. It seemed like every time a champion won, you brought in the next guy. They had a little face-off. So I didn't necessarily see it that way. How did you see it at the time? Uh, I mean... In that moment, I, I had the, the the adrenaline, so I don't think too much ab about it, like the, the, the disrespectful or whatever. Obviously, I I feel like I, I wanted to do a little bit more, you know, like maybe talk about Figueredo and then start to speak. I, I love to to finish my 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 interview with Joe Rogan, like talking in Spanish, you know, for for my for my people in Mexico and Latin America. And this time, I don't have the the opportunity the opportunity to do it for all this thing with with Figueredo. But I don't know, man. I, I I'm just I'm just trying to 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 get my opportunities. Um, was a, a nice a lot of people was saying like, hey, Brandon had the opportunity to make this like big and uh, make more drama and whatever. Uh, it's it's not my it's not my way, man. It's not the the, the way I I love to to sell my fights. Uh, and that's it. And actually, it was a little bit awkward because Davison was like like ready to throw all all the hate. But I start to say I start to calm down all the situation, and he started to go like like very calm down, calm, just very calm. Uh, and that's it, man. And, and it, was, it, was, it was funny for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you said about taking on Kai Car France, it was good to take on somebody other than Davison Figueredo. We have an expression in English, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So having to be around okay. somebody and deal with somebody all the time kind of makes you not like them. Is there a certain, as you said, like you're sick of Davison Figueredo, but he's the guy with the lineal champion. You still want to fight him again. What are your thoughts on that? That, that you, you don't want to keep fighting Davis and Figueredo, but right now he's the guy with the title. How do you deal with that? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I, and I understand it's the same for him. Okay. Yeah. Uh, he's like done to, to, to watch my face and start to talk against me and whatever. I, I understand that because I, I can feel it. I, I feel the same. Like, man, another game plan for the same guy, the fourth time. But, man, I'm just trying to to to, to watch the, the pros about it. Like, man, the legacy, man. The, the first time the two guys are fighting for the fourth time in a row, uh, you know, in mixed martial arts. Uh, and the first time in the company, and I think the, the first time in, in mixed martial arts in general. So, man, imagine that. Imagine the legacy. Imagine the, the history. That is huge for me. For, at least for me, I'm just trying to watch that. Like, man. Definitely, I'm tired. I'm tired of this guy, but I mean, I'm ready to to keep building my legacy. 
Speaking, of course, of Brandon Moreno, uh, interim flyweight champion right now, hopefully hoping to settle that with uh, Davison Figueredo soon. When you talk about legacy, Dana White said you're a star. It doesn't matter where you're from, what country you represent, that, that Brandon Moreno is a star right now. The star you have in Mexico, where you are kind of the, the forefront of, of Mexican mixed martial arts, where for years and years and years, boxing was king. The whole time I was growing up, legacy of Mexican boxers that were absolutely unbelievable. And now, so many now into mixed martial arts, partly because of watching you become a champion. What does that mean to you, man? Man, that's awesome, bro. <laughs> That means to me like a lot, man. Um, I, I mean, I think one part, uh, one part of, of all my job, obviously, is because uh, for me, because I want to be the best, you know. Because I want to put so, uh, uh, some legacy for my family. I need to, I, I need to take care of, of my girls or my wife. But I mean, at the same time, I'm, I'm doing this to, to help some uh, other people to make uh, uh, their dreams uh, come true. Uh, man, the, all that thing you say like make me feel amazing. Um, definitely, boxing, for example, in Mexico is huge, and uh, we have an, a huge history of a lot of Mexican champions in boxing, and that's awesome. Um, I understand too, uh, mixed martial arts is like new in general in the world, you know. But man, I'm the first one. I'm the first one from Mexico. The history is, you know, is right there. I did it. And I'm helping. I, I feel like I'm helping my country to 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 go forward in this sport, and that makes me feel awesome. Now, part of the legacy of combat sports in Mexico, you know, Julio Cesar Chavez grew up in the Culiacan neighborhood, super poor, yeah. had to basically fight to eat, you know. And the idea that you were last picked on the Ultimate Fighter, um, you were cut from the UFC, came back and became champion. That idea of, of, of fighting from underneath, of, of having to overcome adversity, what has that meant to you as a fighter, those setbacks? What did they do for you? Oof. I mean, when, when I'm starting to reflect about, about my life, yeah. about my career, man, it's like, yeah, in the moment, it's like, I, just, I was just trying to survive, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to survive for me, for, for my daughters, for, for my wife, right? Um, I'm I was just trying to go forward in, in, in my career, but when you start to reflect and, and, and watch uh, behind, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's awesome. And uh, I just want to say thank you to, uh, you know, whatever you believe, like God, life, destiny, whatever. I just want to say thank you to, to gave me the, the opportunities to, to keep going because maybe other guys don't, doesn't have those opportunities, but I don't know. I'm just like very grateful to, 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 for to life and, and God to give me those opportunities. And I, and I did a really good job, and I'm so happy for, for my performance, too, of course. Uh, you cornered Edgar Chaydez last night in Dana White's Contender Series. Yeah. What do you think of that whole um, way to get into the UFC, right? You came up through the Ultimate Fighter, but now there's Contender Series, guys getting in, so many different ways to get into the UFC. What, what are your thoughts on, on those kind of things? Tough and Dana White's Contender Series as a – kind of a platform for fighters to get into the UFC. What are your thoughts on it? Man, uh, you know, Contender Series is tough, man. It's a whole different experience because you, you don't have the opportunity to try to make an, a smart fight, right? Like, we, we, we'll, we'll see um, the, the first, I think was the first or second event of, of this season. Um, you know, the fight was a little bit, I don't want to say boring, but like, not a lot of decisions. Yeah. yeah, but a lot of decisions, like uh, maybe no, not a lot of effort for the for the guys from the from the guys, 
And man, so that makes you feel like, man, I need to finish the fight. I need to do something spectacular for mm. the boss. And, you know, that can make you uh, make, uh, can make you do some, some mistakes in the, in, in the middle of the fight. So talking about my, 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 my training partner, Edgar Charis, I love that guy, man. I, I love that guy. And he, he was like trying to finish the fight the first round, throwing some like high knees, a flying knees, whatever. And he, he has an, an amazing, uh, first round, definitely. I I I feel like he won that, that round. The second one was a little bit close because at the uh, starting the second round, he connected really good punches. At, but at the end, uh, the other guy connected the takedown when they went to the ground, and the guy uh, put some good control there. And uh, definitely, um, Edgar lost the, the third round, right? So it was a close fight. Uh, he will have a lot of experience from this fight. And man, the guy is young, 26 years old. Uh, he doesn't have the, the clock against him. Like he has time to, to fix the mistakes. And I'm, I'm excited to the future. But talking about uh, talking about uh, against against um, contender series is a whole different experience, man. Yeah. So I'm curious if you were given the opportunity to let's say coach on the Ultimate Fighter, go back there and mentor people or help out on the Ultimate Fighter, would that appeal to you at all? Having gone through it yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I, I was, I, I had my, my podcast in Spanish, in Spanish. I was talking with Calvin Gastelum uh, because he was like, you know, uh, he competed in the Ultimate Fighter and then he, he was a coach in yeah. the Ultimate Fighter. So that experience sounds uh, very good for me. So uh, I remember my, 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 my season in the Ultimate Fighter being, being along in, in the house with a lot of fighters trying to kill me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, it was funny. It was a, a was a, a funny moment in my life. I, I, I man, you know, I I think it's a it's a Brandon Moreno before and after uh, the Ultimate Fighter. So yeah, may, and maybe now be in the in the other page, like be a coach, uh, will be awesome in, in in my in my legacy too, and uh, for my for my experience and my, my career. You never know. You ne- you never know the future, right? Uh, speaking, of course, to Brandon Moreno, interim flyweight champion, looking to become the lineal flyweight champion once again. Uh, if you had a fighter coming up, he has talent, he has five or six fights underneath him, would you have him go to Dana White's Contender Series or the Ultimate Fighter if they had a choice? What do you think is a better way in, better for the fighter's development? Man, uh, I think the depends on uh, the fighter's style, right? Mm. If I know the guy has like these crazy things, like he loves to throw... Uh, flying elbows, flying knees, whatever. It's like, man, I think you can you can go to the contender series and make some uh, spectacular knockout and get your contract. But maybe if the guys uh, has this style, like maybe like a lot of wrestling, a lot of control, whatever. Like you know, maybe the ultimate fighter is a good option for you. Like hey, be smart, do your game plan, um, and make a good game plan with your coaches in the ultimate fighter, and try to get the, the you know try to get the tournament. Uh, Brandon, I really appreciate your time, my man. I know you have stuff to get ready for, especially a possible showdown with Davison Figueredo. Thank you so much for your time, brother. I know, man. I have I have a lot of stuff to do. <laughs> <There's> <laughs> guys. Gracias, my man. Appreciate it. Muchas gracias. Have a nice day. All right, guys. See you. You know what, man. Thank you so much. Brandon Moreno, ladies and gentlemen. 
Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here from WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more. We talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. UTC mailbag at gmail.com. That's where all these come from. KOB sifts through them to bring you the gems. Are they shining, KOB? Let me know what's up. They are shining. Know. This might be a record for uh, Dana White Contender Series related. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well. All right. Uh, all right. So let's, yeah. let's get it started. You've got mail. All right. This first one comes from Dion in Indiana who says, Hey, Jimmy, on Dana White Contender, Contender Series, Dana is putting excitement over skill. He's evaluating a fighter strictly based on highlight. I feel this is good for business, but bad for the sport. Example, if you're looking for wide receivers for a football team, you don't tell them to go out there and just do one-handed catches OBJ style just because it's exciting and disregard the ones that have the fundamentals securing the ball with both hands. Will his desire to put on premium content and excitement over skill do harm in the long run, or is it just what it is, or is it just what it is for the UFC to keep their viewership up? Let's well, let's be honest, though. This is not the majority of the UFC's roster. Some guys come in through Dana White's Contender Series, and those picks might be based on, to Dion's point, the guy who can do the one-handed grab rather than the guy that can read the defense and has good footwork and fundamentals and all this stuff. Um, but it's not everybody. If you were evaluating everybody this way, I'd go, okay, it's not going to be good for the sport. The handful of fighters that come in from Dana White's Contender Series are going to be maybe uh, picked because their ability to get big knockouts early. That's, that's possible. But it's not the majority of the people that are coming in the UFC, first off. Secondly, KLB, is your mind zen? Zen. I think it was four contracts given out last week. Only one person didn't get a contract, I think, if I remember correctly. But they were given out. Like, can you name one of them? It was all five. Okay. Can you name not one of them? Not, not a one. Yeah, it's, it's not as though maybe they're getting if you would ask me boost. last week. Yeah, I probably could have told you a week later. Sure, no, yeah, but, but this week no, because and, and the reason I say that is it's not as though they're getting a huge push. It's not as though they're early Ultimate Fighter winners like Diego Sanchez and Forrest Griffin who got huge pushes coming into the UFC. They were like treated like stars. Um, when you fight Elvis Sinisek. Sorry, love you, Elvis, if you're listening, but ah, you're not exposed. You're not supposed to lose. Okay, you're supposed to beat Elvis Sinisek. For people who don't know, that's the guy who Forrest Griffin fought early on in his UFC career. So it, it, you know, you're not getting that from the contender series. So it's not like these guys are getting huge pushes and they're they're headlining cards. No, they're you know, KLB can't name one of the guys who got one last week. And so they're not getting huge pushes, and it's not the majority of the UFC's roster. Are they picking them for perhaps the wrong reasons? Yes. But it also isn't so many that I think it's the end of the world. The end of the world. KOB, fair or not? I would say that's pretty fair. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not exactly filling the roster with contender no. series guys. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, at least. Not yet. But also they're not getting, you know, huge Huge pushes that you're like, man, why, why aren't up-and-comers getting this kind of attention? They're not getting that much attention. Next. Mail, motherfucker. 
All right, this comes from Steven Nebraska, also on Dana White Contender Series. Uh, he says, hey, Jimmy, uh, despite Bo Nickel not getting a contract, we all know he's getting one soon. So how do you think he stacks up against the top 15 of the middleweight division? <sighs> there is a contrast here that is interesting. The contrast is 185 has never been the domain of the standout wrestler. Never has been. Ever. When you look at the top uh, champions, you know, the, 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 the best of the best at 185, the best wrestler to ever hold gold at 185, Chris Weidman, who was an All-American, I think one time. Okay, not 170 great wrestlers abound. Johnny Hendricks won multiple national titles, etc. Josh Koscheck, Matt Hughes, GSP, they're all great wrestlers. This, you know, being a striker and winning that is kind of breaking the mold. At 185, it's mostly strikers. Anderson Silva, Luke Rockhold, Michael Bisbing, okay? Israel Adesanya, they tend to be strikers. Bo Nickel would be the best wrestler right now in the top 15, period. Brad Tavares, I'm reading the top 15. Uh, Brad Tavares, Drikas Duplessis, uh, Noradin Imovov, Uriah Hall, who recently retired, we'll discuss that later, Kelvin Gaslam, Andre Munoz, uh, Darren Till, Yaker Manson, Sean Strickland, Paulo Costa, Alex Pereira, Derek Brunson, Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier, Robert Whitaker, and champ is Israel Adesanya. The best wrestler on that list is Derek Brunson, who was a D3 guy. Bo Nickel out-wrestles him with one hand. No problem. But look at the veteran guys who don't have a great ranking. Look at that. Kelvin Gaslam is number 11. Darren Till is number 9. Yaker Manson, number 8. Sean Strickland, 7. The aforementioned Derek Brunson is 4th. So the problem is, you also have a lot of veteran guys who are, in the case of Kelvin Gaslam, Darren Till, starting to age out of the division. An up-and-comer might have trouble with those guys just because they're so experienced. They don't have the wrestling to hang with him, but they might have the experience to find the holes in his game. Those are the traps that kind of bother me. Is, all right, let's give him a Darren Till who hasn't done great things at middleweight. Let's give him a Kelvin Gaston who's on his way out of the division. He can out-wrestle those guys, but as far as mixed martial arts, they've dealt with great wrestlers before, and they might be able to find those gaps. So when you say, how does he line up? Tactically, he lines up great because he's the best wrestler at 185 by a damn sight. But there are a lot of experienced guys who are on their way out of the top 15 that he might meet. Those might be traps for him. I think I'm laying it out well. Next. Message. All right, last one here on Contender Series. Uh, this comes <laughs> from Mark in New Jersey who says, Hey, Jimmy, you've talked recently about the low success rate for many of the recent tough winners in the last few years. Yes. There's a number of fighters off Dana White Contender Series that seem to be inching closer to title contention. In 2022, is the better indicator of talent tough or Dana White Contender Series? I would say probably Contender Series. Um, here's another thing, by the way. If you look at statistics, you look at the math, more fighters are coming out of Contender Series than there are the Ultimate Fighter. So when you say, oh, we're seeing, you know, Sugar Sean O'Malley, we're seeing other people that have done well in Contender Series, and, and they're really good, but there are a lot more of them. The Ultimate Fighter in a season only gives us two, generally speaking, okay? It gives us two. So their failures tend to stand out more because we don't get many Ultimate Fighter winners. So when you look at the statistics and the math, 
um, were cherry picking. So Sean O'Malley came out of Contender Series. He might be fighting for a title soon. Okay, but, but uh, you know, they get five contracts a week during the Contender Series. Tough gets two for six weeks. So those failures or successes tend to stand out a lot more. Where if I get 10 contracts from a Contender Series and you get one, you know, contender, you might go, oh, well, more contenders are coming out of Contender Series. Yeah, but there are a lot more winners. There are a lot more guys getting titles out of Contender Series. So be careful about mentally cherry-picking success and failure. We get more contracts from a contender series than we do from the Ultimate Fighter. But I have been on record saying the Ultimate Fighter hasn't been an indication of success in uh, almost a decade. It's just been a long time. I mean, not that, you know, of course, Kamaru Usman coming out and all that stuff, but early on, winning the Ultimate Fighter was indicative of being a contender. Being somebody who would fight for a title. Now, in that regard, to me, it is almost totally meaningless. Totally meaningless. Next. Answer my question! I mean, before we actually even get into this question, it's worth noting since this news just came out. And for the hell of it, I'll just hit this. Breaking news. Ooh, love it. Hit me. Uh, it's been announced. Cy- Chris Cyborg will make her boxing debut against Simone Silva in the main event of Fight Music Show card September 25th with the promotion's middleweight championship going up for grabs. Uh, worth noting there. And the question I have here is from Rick from Arizona who says, hey, Jimmy, what do you think the earning potential is for Chris Cyborg as a boxer? Wouldn't you think there'd be more money to be made in MMA for her? It would seem like she has way too much weight for a fight with Katie Taylor or Amanda Serrano, which seem like the only ones that she would make a lot of money on. So wouldn't she make more box- in MMA than if she would boxing? Do you know Simone Silva's record? I took a look at it, yeah. What it is the great. word that strings to your mind that springs to your mind? It's just right out. Stream of consciousness. First word. Tommy Sad. Fury worthy. Right, yes, sir. <laughs> 17 and 21 career record with six victories coming by way of knockout, but she's currently riding, I'm not joking, an eight fight losing streak dating back to 2019. Give me a break. Also, making, um, I don't know if it's his debut, Pele. Do you know Pele, Landy? Any idea who that is, KOB? No. Yeah, you're going way back with that one. He was an MMA pioneer. Back in the 90s and the early 2000s. Love Pele, by the way. Uh, he was one of my favorites coming up. But, but yeah, dude, give me a break here. At some Brazilian card, I this is meaningless. Yeah, I don't think she's going to make a lot of money boxing. I don't. I happen to agree with you. I think she has more earning potential in MMA. There aren't very many opponents her size. The opponents that are her size um, are not going to make her any money because I couldn't name one if put a gun to my head. So she has more earning potential in MMA for sure. So she'll probably try boxing, knock out some scrub, knock out maybe a couple more scrubs, do it on the side a little bit, but you're testing the bounds of freak show boxing here. We don't know with the you know the, the Paul brothers and all that stuff how long this is a real moneymaker, if it's a real moneymaker at all. We don't know. So I don't think she has a ton of options in boxing. I really don't. So I completely agree with, with uh, our listener who sent that in. I think she, she can make more money in MMA. Next. You've got mail. All right. This comes from Rodney from New Jersey. We had a question like this similar a while back, but worth going into again. Sure. It says, hey, Jimmy, with Bellator operating under Scott Coker for the past eight years, why do you think they've had such a hard time reaching the same heights and popularity as Strikeforce did? 
Bellator had po- had pops of high viewership with older names like Kimbo Slice and Tito Ortiz, but Strikeforce was able to create many more homegrown stars in a shorter period of time. If you were in charge of Bellator, what changes would you make to create more stars? And do you also think Bellator would benefit more if Paramount sold it? Okay, uh, number one, to answer the Strikeforce question, the UFC didn't have a stranglehold on the market. They didn't have a show every week. They, they weren't on ESPN. They were on Spike. They didn't have all this shoulder programming, DC and RC. They didn't have all this stuff. It didn't exist. So the ecosystem of MMA had a lot more space for another big promotion. That's how Strikeforce made its money. That the UFC didn't have a stranglehold, that it, the, the, the kind of stranglehold it has now. Bellator is operating in a much different space than Strikeforce operated in. There was way more talent out there they could scoop up. There were, there were the Jacare's, right? There were the Luke Rockholds. There were the Josh Thompson and the Gilbert Melendezes and the Diaz brothers and all these people that you could look at and go, man, really talented. Paul Semtex Daly doesn't have a home. He can fight here in Strikeforce. Now you're, you're, you're trying to, you know, compete against a dragon that is just consuming so much talent. You know, it's, it's much harder to do. And I was there in Bellator when, when they got those pops with the older names like Tito Ortiz and Kimbo Slice. It was not a tenable business plan. You can't go to this well of quote-unquote legends fights every time you need um, ratings because legends fights, none of them were any good, and legends don't stick around for very long. I was there when, I don't four or five people retired. I don't remember how many. I saw four or five of them in the ring, in the cage. You know, it's it's not it's not wasn't a good long term business plan. What would I do differently? I'd co promote a lot. I'd go after the UFC a lot more, and I I don't mean that like actually go after the UFC. What I mean by that is, you know, Scott Coker isn't the kind of guy to 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 toot his own horn and and um do a lot of talking. But when you can say our guy beats your guy, that generates interest, whether it's true or not, whether it would actually work, who knows? But our guy beats your guy. And you notice when it comes to WWE, AEW is really scrappy. They're always trying to go after WWE and, and be creative with their social media. That's how you have to be as the underdog. you got to make a lot of noise. And Bellator and Scott Coker, they've put on some really great fights. They've really gotten away from the Legends fight thing, which I am thrilled about. They're having the Grand Prix and the tournaments and all that stuff. Really, really interesting, but they got to make a lot of noise about how much better our guys really are than the UFC. And Scott Coker doesn't do that that much. That's one thing I would do differently. Next. Message. All right, this one comes from Keith, who says, Hey, guys, last week I asked if there was a fighter you thought had potential but never panned out. As a follow-up to that question, yeah. has there ever been a fighter that everyone was super high on, and when you saw them, you just couldn't see why everyone was so high on that person? You just didn't see what all the hype was. Um, I, If I sit here and I, I, I really think about it, I'll probably come up with somebody. But normally when someone comes up with hype, it's because they have flashy finishes. And there are people that, for example, if you tuned into the UFC to watch Hector Lombard's UFC debut, you might have gone, what the heck's with that guy? 
because he came with a lot of hype and he had crushed people before that and he didn't do that. Fedor Emelianenko, if you had seen Fedor Emelianenko kill everybody in Japan and then he comes to Strike Force and had a losing record and didn't look great, you might go, oh, where's that guy come from? I, I don't get that. Um, I, I guess the best example right now that I can think of is Patty Pimblett, where I think he's good. I see a lot of holes in his game. He gets knocked down a lot. And against middling talent, I don't know if he has what it takes to be successful in a really tough 55-pound division. So, ironically enough, the one answer to your question, I would say, would be um, would be Patty Pimlet. Where I, 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 I don't know if I see the skill set to really be successful at 155. Because well, it's, it's a shark tank of a division. Yeah. You're saying that, but like I, I think we're all very measured in that. Like, it's not like When people yeah. talk about Patty yeah. Pimblett... It's not always like, dude, his skills are just so off the wall. Yeah. It's yeah. everyone knows like this guy generates interest. Like that's just the way it is. He generates in- a ton of interest. Um, but we all still aren't exactly sure where he is. So I think it's it's measured. For me, I'll be honest with you, this is a recent one. Some might say the point is moot because he won a title. I'm still not totally sold on Yuri Pajaka. Not at all. Sure. Based on what I've yeah. seen. Everyone talks yeah. about like his like next level striking. I was like, Glover almost beat No. Him. No. That, but that's how everyone talked about him going into that fight. Like, it was some kind of, like, crazy off the wall. Like, the way they talked about John Jones when he was coming up. I'm like, no, I don't he's see super, this at all. He, he can hit hard. He can take you out. Yeah. But his t- style is, like, herky-jerky, weird. Super it's odd. Super awkward. And that catches guys. You know, guys get caught by punches like that. But it's not mm-hmm. next level. Israel Adesanya is next level. That guy is like, oh, that guy's you know, a level better than everybody right now at 185, other than maybe Alex Pereira. But... Yeah, so when it comes to Yuta Prohachka, sure. But as you say, at least he's one of he's the best till fiver in the world right now. That says something. Um I'm trying to think of anyone else that I was kinda like because usually when you say like, man, this guy's really good, it's because you know they've they've had flashy finishes. You can't take that away from somebody. Uh next. Answer my question. Alright, this will be the last one of the day. It is just titled Queen of Hate. It says, Alright, you guys have stirred things up with Kelly's level of fineness. She's hypothetically dumping folk for big toes and picking one with a big nose. Just how fine of, a, of, of is Miss Dimepiece? Is she A, Avril Lavigne fine, B, Kaylee Cuoco fine, or C, Margot Robbie fine? If it's C, then she should be in Hollywood. If it's an A, then all this attitude makes sense. If it's B, that explains why all the nerds keep complimenting her. So which one is I, she? Okay, I, I only know, I, Margot Robbie was, uh, she was Wonder Woman? No, she was, uh, was Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn, that's one thing. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'll yeah. confidently say I'm not nearly as hot as her. She's a perfect yeah, she's specimen. It, she's what, really what do you guys hot. think of, of Avril Lavigne? Who's yeah. Kaylee or who, Haley? Uh, the, girl from, who uh, the girl from The Big Bang Theory who plays Penny. Blondo. Oh, she's cute. I feel she's like cute. I'm about to be offended. No, she's cute. <laughs> she's on the, the Av- um, Travelocity Av- commercials. Avril right? Lavigne. Okay. Yeah, yeah Avril Lavigne yeah. was like a punk type person. No, I know who she is. is. Yeah, okay. I was making sure. I don't know, so Jimmy. I, yeah, I mean, who do you? All right, so so I'm really curious about Kelly. Who do you get compared to in real life? Is that somebody? Do people say, "Oh, you look like so and so"? Does is there anybody that that people say that about? None of them make any sense. So people tell that to you, but you don't believe it. Yes. Like who? Can you give an example? The only like, oh, one I can so. think of right now is Selma Hayek, and I look nothing like her. I see it just because you have dark features. You know what I mean? Like you have. You I have would really go closer to Amila Kunis, to be perfectly honest. 
Yeah, that's a good that's one. That's like the yeah. nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. That's true. No, straight <laughs> up. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I will say. You do look like Mila Kunis. Yeah, you do. You complimented yeah. bald people and guys 10 years older than you. I feel like I have to repay the favor from last week. I no, know, that's true. I was like, like giving low-key compliments to Mike that time. Like four of them in a row. <laughs> So yeah, that, that's and where I go. Been, there, that's where we're going. Kind of Mila Kunis. I, I I do definitely see that in you. There you go. Ta-da! Fantastic. So the question, the guy who gave the question, then has to decide for himself because we didn't. Get, yeah, now you got to decide for yourself. Any of the people he listed. Based on the description, right, he said he said like the Kayla Cuoco is why like nerds are constantly complimenting. Based on the extremes and the descriptions he gave, I would say that's where it falls because it seems like that's a little bit more correct. Sure, Probably. but nerd hot isn't bad, you know. No. Like Zoe Deschanel, like nerds love her, and she's cute. Like you know, like I get it. That's not a problem. Okay. <laughs> Look at the I'm face. I'm not saying she looks like you. I'm saying, like, like, let's leave it at Mila Kunis, and we can definitely move on from there. All right, all right, let's Mila Kunis. That's what we're going with. Decide for yourself what that means. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Laura Sanko now joining us on Unlock of the Cage to discuss Dana White's Contender Series. How you doing, Laura? Thanks for joining us. Hey, what's up? How you doing, Senorita Sanko? I thought you abandoned me. Thought I did something I last did time to offend you, which I generally no, do. No, never. I, I generally never. work toward that. I, so, I, at, I know, I'm unoffendable. I'm at the airport, though, so <laughs> sorry about the connection issue. It happens all the time. So, ahem, um, some questions I want to ask you about this whole Bo Nickel situation. The big thing I want to ask is, and, and, and we'll kind of develop based on your answer here. Do you believe it's possible to develop in the UFC, or should you be at least 80, 90% developed before you get there? What's your thought on that? I think, it's, I think you can, actually. I think it's really difficult, but I think if you have – a, a real life base, it's doable. And he has that, you know, you look at a guy like, like Charles Oliveira, who, who did develop in the UFC, but it was rough for him. Right. But he had that jujitsu base coming in. Um, I think we're going to see a different path from, from Bo Nickel. I'm not saying he's not going to hit some snags in the road and face some really difficult matchups, but I don't know. I really, I'm usually not someone who enjoys like, like for instance, a Chase Hooper, I think uh, I, I didn't love him getting into the UFC when he did. Now, he's done a pretty good job of hanging in there and, and developing his skills and, and making it work for him. I'm not dogging on Chase whatsoever, but Chase Hooper and Bo Nickel um, are very, very different athletes in terms of their preparation when they, you know, when they made it to the UFC. And, and, and when you look at it that way, you know, if, if you've been a fan – Almost, well, no, no, not really. I'm a lot older than you. But <laughs> I was trying to say, maybe your fandom goes back to a point where fighters often made their UFC debut in, uh, their MMA debut in the UFC, right? And then it kind of changed where you needed 15, 20 fights to get there. Now it seems like it's spun back around where fighters are getting their UFC debut in their first five or six fights. That didn't happen 
um, at all in the early 2000s. It, in the late 90s, you got your, 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 your debut very, very early. What do you think are the, the benefits and the, the difficulties with that, that this, this pendulum's kind of swung around again? Well, it's supply and demand, right? If you look at the, if you look at the UFC ecosystem as a sort of economy, in the 90s and early 2000s, there were, what, how many shows a year? Eight? Yeah. Nine? Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So you had, you had a very finite number of slots to fill, so of course you're going to pick the most experienced guys, the best in the world. But now you have fights every weekend, you have contender series, you have Road to UFC there are, and, and Tough and like all of these different avenues, and there is a much bigger pool. So I, th- I do think it's appropriate, you know, I think Bo Nickel is absolutely appropriate to be put into the pool and not that he has, but obviously he's, he's going to be getting another shot on the contender series. But I think all of us believe that he will go out there and, and do well against whatever opponent they put him against at this level. Um, and yeah, I think he absolutely has what it takes to start climbing that ladder at 185. And I believe him when he says he'll climb it relatively quickly. But what I like from his, him is when he talks about it, he does want to be world champion. He does want to be the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, but he's not unrealistic. He's like, you know, I'm not going to go out in there and do that this year. I might not even be in the top 20 next year, but four years from now, roughly, maybe even a little sooner than that, I'm going to be in the top 10 and I'm going to be, I'm going to be closer to achieving that goal. So I think it's really just a matter of it. It shows the way that the UFC has grown in terms of just ubiquitousness and, and quantity rather than like, oh, they're not being as choosy as they used to be. You know, they don't have to be as choosy right. as they used to be, and they shouldn't be. Well, let, let's take a look at another fight that was kind of in that mold a little bit. Anvar Bonazarov, who was a standout kickboxer. He, he fought in glory, of yeah. course, but taken down and pounded through the canvas by Eric Silva. It showed that lack of well-roundedness. What did you think of that fight? Yeah, I mean, it, it went... It went it, it, that fight was either going to go one of two ways, and it went the one way I thought it probably would. Um, <laughs> you know, when you watch tape on Eric Silva, he just has this, he has this very specific meta of how he likes to get a fight, you know, where he wants it. And he's very good at doing that. I'm excited to see what he can do in the featherweight division. I, I do think he's uh, UFC caliber. And Boy Nazarov was a little bit of a question mark. You know, clearly has all the striking accolades in the world, but we've seen other guys come from a purely striking background and really struggle against the grapplers. I, I, would, I would go out on a limb and say if you had to pick one background to be pure in and then transition to the UFC, I do think wrestling is the better base. I'm not saying that you can't have success. Obviously, I can tell you a number of uh, kickboxers, Israel Adesanya being one of them, that have clearly done very well from them, for themselves. But in general... Uh, I think that wrestling, it's easier to pick up on enough striking to get to your wrestling than it is to learn how to defend wrestling while maintaining your elite level striking. That's just my take on it. No, it's, it's very, very true in my experience as well. I mean, I'd rather have, if you said what one base would you go in with in MMA, I'd say wrestling. That'd be my number one. Like, yeah. Okay, if you know nothing but wrestling, you'll probably be all right. Or at least you'll get time to build. Um, I want to ask you, because we interviewed his coach, Brandon Moreno, or I did maybe an hour ago. We're going to play it in a few minutes. Clayton Carpenter took on Edgar Chires, who is was cornered by Brandon Moreno. Um, we saw that it was so interesting. It looked like 
uh, Chiris had like the big finish on his mind because he's on Contender Series, mm-hmm. but it ended up costing him a lot of gas, kind of a, a, a tactical miscalculation. What were your thoughts on that fight? Yeah, that's really how he fights. I mean, when you watch the film of him coming into last night, that's standard Chiris, and that's why I think yeah. he was such a great fit for the show. Um, I will say this. He had a really tough weight cut. He is a huge flyweight. He came through Kansas City when Brandon was here. Not, I mean, Brandon was here for like, I don't know, several months. And Titus came through for a few weeks. So I got to see him, got to grapple with him a little bit and, and watch him work in the room. And very talented striker. He's always aggressive like that. He is always looking to put your lights out. Um, I think that he knew that that, I mean, he was facing a really, really tough kid. Really tough. And uh, I just think that, I don't know if it's the cut that got to him, but yeah, the gas definitely, you know, let him down a little bit in that last round. Because if he was able to continue with the pace that he had in round one, that fight was 100% going to be his. Because Clayton Carpenter, incredibly talented. I mean, he checks every box. But I will say that he hadn't really faced a man, like a man that was going to come out there and bully him the way that Chidas did in round one. But I was very impressed by Carpenter's ability to weather that adversity, which he has never faced before in his career, by the way, weather that uh, think his way through it, maintain his technique, and then be able to very slowly and methodically, you know, turn the tides of the momentum in that fight. Super impressive. Laura, I appreciate you so much every time you call. We'll both be keeping an eye on Bo Nickel. When he fights the next time, we are definitely going to talk about it. I know you were impressed. I was impressed. But we'll see what happens with his future. Thank you so much for giving us your time, Laura. Thank you. I appreciate it, Jimmy. Talk to you next and week. It's, uh, safe travels. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. And SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. Serious XM Podcasts.